Overall, the, the outline of all the uh, blessings that God gives to us in salvation, and actually this doesn't even include everything that comes to us in salvation, but um, because uh, there's new heavens and new earth and eternity future that is going to be full and rich beyond what we can imagine. But we started before time began, before creation with election, and then last week we talked about the gospel call. What are the elements that have to be included in explaining the gospel to people? And then what does God do um, with regard to what we call effective calling or this powerful work of God that comes in connection with the explanation of the gospel that, uh, that brings a response from people. Now we're going to unpack today a little more what's involved in that with uh, regeneration. If you, if you clump two, three, four, five, six, <clears throat> and the beginning of seven, <clears throat> if you clump all those together, it's what we call becoming a Christian. All of these occur at the beginning of the Christian life. We hear the gospel message. God awakens new life within us at regeneration. We exercise faith and repentance. That's conversion. Number five, God declares us legally justified. Uh, number six, he adopts us or makes us members of his family. And there's the beginning of seven. That is, there's a change in growth in holiness. There's the beginning of this growth in holiness and conformity to Christ in number seven. So all of two to seven is uh, is uh, we're, we're unpacking in much more detail, gradually, the things that happen in becoming a Christian. And in fact, um, two, three, four, five, and six can all happen within the space of a few minutes, a very short time, as someone is listening to the gospel call, and then God makes it a powerful call and gives us new life so that we're able to respond and then we exercise faith and immediately we're justified and adopted into God's family. So what can take a few seconds in actually someone hearing the gospel and then believing, we are taking several weeks to unpack because it's so rich and complex and, and many-faceted. And today we're talking about another aspect of that, and that is regeneration or in kind of common ordinary language, being born again. So what is regeneration? Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Sorry, I'm just centering myself. I don't want to be too far to the right or the left. It's kind of middle of the road right here. Okay, regeneration, a secret act of God a secret act of God, we don't see it happening, all we do is see the results, a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Now let's see if we can explain how that works. Regeneration is totally a work of God. Now, I'm going to contrast that with some other things. The gospel call has a human element with it. People explain the gospel, right? And conversion is all our work. We believe, God doesn't believe for us. We repent, God doesn't repent for us. So there are some differences here. We get down to sanctification. That's a work in which God and human beings cooperate. We put forth effort to grow and maintain holiness in the Christian life, but God enables us. So some of these are just our work, some are just God's work, and some are mixed, but regeneration is entirely a work of God, a work of God. So uh, there are promises in the Bible that talk about regeneration. Uh, there's an Old Testament promise in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I will <clears throat> different different 
expressions to talk about this, and I will give you a new heart, that's one way of talking about it, and a new spirit I will put within you, that's another way of talking about it. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Heart of stone, one that just God's, God's words come and they just bounce off. God's commands come and people reject them. God's promises and invitations come and a heart of stone doesn't respond. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh that is one that is sensitive and responsive to God. And I will put my spirit within you, the Holy Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is God. I will give you. I will put within you. I will remove. I will put my spirit within you. So it's God's work. Or John 1.13, who were born. Let's see. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And then verse 12, but to all who received him, he gave power to become the children of God. And now here's an explanation of becoming the children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's a contrast <coughs> with, <coughs> excuse me, with human birth, um, physical birth, uh, probably indicated here, of, of blood and the will of the flesh and the will of man, or some translations, the will of a husband, and that is on air in Greek. It probably does mean husband there. Um, the, the, this new birth didn't come about by ordinary human activity the way normally children are born, but who are born of God. That is, it's God's work. And we don't, and the reason that's a good analogy is, of course, uh, we don't play any role in being born. We don't have any part in it. It just happens to us without um, initiative on our part. And so <clears throat> Jesus explains this in a little more detail when he's talking to Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jewish people, in John 3, this conversation. He, Nicodemus came to Jesus secretly by night, <clears throat> and he wanted to know, <clears throat> want to know more of what Jesus was speaking and teaching. And so Jesus tells him here in John 3 more of what this new birth is. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, born again, what we call regeneration in the theological language, born again, Jesus explains by being born of water and the Spirit. Now, some people wonder, well, what is born of water? And there are different interpretations. I, I think it is Jesus going back to Ezekiel, where God talks about a promise to wash the people with clean water and they'll be clean from their sin. So I, I do think it's a cleansing of sin. Other people think it means uh, just human uh, birth um, with the, the water that comes out before the child is born. Or other people think it means baptism, born of water and the Spirit, but there are arguments back and forth and you can go whichever way you want to on that, but I, I think it is just, the, again, echoing this image, imagery from the Old Testament, born of water and the Spirit, that is, of God's cleansing power and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you have to, do, you have, to have this new birth by the Holy Spirit <clears throat> to enter the kingdom of God. 
<clears throat> that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's us in our human nature. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. How do I understand this? Nicodemus might be wondering. How do I know more about it? Well, Jesus is going to say it's like the wind. You don't know a lot about it. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is saying it's mysterious. It blows where it wishes. You, you can see the results. You hear the sound of it. You see what wind what does, what it blows around. But it's kind of a mystery. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so... Jesus talks about that in the sense of it's a work of the Holy Spirit, but you, you don't know fully what it is. For Peter talks about this. First uh, Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, that is the Father, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's, we've, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's work back here, born of the Spirit. Here we talk about the Father causing us to be born again, but it's based on the resurrection of Christ. Jesus rose to a new life, and God awakens a new spiritual life in us as a kind of a parallel. Or Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now, not physically dead, because Paul's still alive, he hadn't died physically. We were dead in our trespasses, that means spiritually dead, unresponsive to God, not spiritually alive, it's like that heart of stone. We were dead spiritually in our trespasses, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So again, it's a work of God the Father here. He, he gave us new birth. Some verses indicate that regeneration comes to us through the power of the word of God. And that's, thus it's connected with effective calling. I talked about last week, some, in some instances, the gospel explanation goes out, but in some people's hearts, it finds a response because God makes it powerful and brings forth a response. Now, regeneration then is a further explanation of how that comes about. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Now, we're going to unpack that verse. Of his own will, he, that is God the Father, he brought us, now brought us forth, brought us forth, that means brought us out, it's language in, in Greek, it's language that um, could be used of physical birth, to bring forth out of the mother's womb. So he brought us forth means he gave us new life. And again, it's this image of being born again. So uh, how did he do it? He brought us forth by the word of truth. That is, the gospel proclamation awakened that spiritual life, and God gave us new birth through it. First Peter talks in the same way. It's the power of the word of God. He says, 1 Peter 1, 23 and 25, You have been born again. How? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This word is the good news that was preached to you. So it's a work of God, it's secret, it's kind of like being born for the first time, but it's a new kind of birth, and it's a spiritual kind of birth, and it comes about when God the Father works in us to give us this new life, and when the word of the gospel comes, it, uh, it's the powerful agent that God uses to bring about this regeneration. In some Christian traditions, especially Reformed traditions, the term irresistible grace is used to speak of this powerful work of God. And I just don't want anybody to misunderstand that phrase if you read it someplace. It's not intended to mean that people are saved against their will 
Oh, no, God, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be saved. You're going to be saved anyway. It's not that. I don't care if you want to be saved. You're going to be saved. It's not that. It's rather that God effectively calls people through the gospel and gives them regeneration. Both actions guarantee the calling, the regeneration, guarantee that we will, re- we will respond in saving faith, but we respond voluntarily. And so the way God brings that about is he, he influences our will, our decision where previously it seemed to us foolish this business about Christ dying for our sins and us being born again, it seemed crazy. Who would want to believe that? And all of a sudden, when, when this regenerating work of God comes, it, it makes sense to us. It seems right. It seems amazing and beautiful and desirable, and that's what we want. So God influences our inward desires so that we want to voluntarily, of our own choice, decide to be born again, or decide, decide to trust in Christ. So um, irresistible in the sense that, from God's perspective, there's a secret work of God that, um, that brings about a result, but it doesn't mean it denies our human choice or uh, voluntary uh, response. That is also part of it. Now, just out of fairness, I'll just say I didn't, I didn't put it on the outline, but there's another view in the Christian world, and that's more of an Arminian or Wesleyan view, and that's called prevenient grace, P-R-E-V-E-N-I-E-N-T, prevenient, and that means coming before. And that Arminian or Wesleyan view says God gives prevenient grace to every single human being in the whole earth. And that grace gives the ability to respond to the gospel. See, Everybody has this problem. If we're dead in trespass and sins, how can dead people respond? The Reformed view would say, those whom God has chosen, he gives this regeneration and effective calling, and they respond. And so he gives them new life so that they are able to respond. And the Wesleyan or Arminian view would say, no, God gives it to everybody. So everybody has the ability to respond, but just some do. Well, what makes the difference in those who do and those who don't? Then the Wesleyan or Arminian view would say the ultimate decision, the ultimate difference is based on the person, not on God's choice. So does that make sense? That's a, that's a little, just, I just want to be fair, I don't, I don't hold that view, but, but a number of my friends do. And um, I don't know if anybody teaching at Phoenix Seminary would hold that view, but in the conservative, very Bible-believing Nazarene and Methodist denominations, for instance, that would be sort of their official viewpoint. Okay, but anyway, we go on. It's a work of God, point B. The exact nature of regeneration is mysterious to us. Now, when I was a child, I heard this explanation that says, well, our spirits were dead before we were born again, and then our spirits were made alive, like a light bulb being turned on inside us. And there's some helpfulness to that because it gives an image of uh, spiritual awakening inside. But I, I think it's not enough. It's not enough to say that our spirits were made alive at regeneration because it's me as a whole person. It's not just my spirit. It's my mind. It's my will. It's my, I suppose in some sense, it's, it's even my body that that delights to do God's will and be pleasing to him. It's, in other words, it's me as a whole person, not just my spirit. 
that was made alive. It's just that prior to regeneration, my spirit was inclined against God and delighted in sin. And after regeneration, my spirit becomes inclined toward God and delights in obeying him. So uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. It's like being made alive, but it's sort of mysterious how it happens. John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. You don't know everything about it. So is everything. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Or here's another way of speaking about it, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when someone has become a Christian, you'll, you'll talk to that person, and he or she will say, well, you know, I have all sorts of new desires. I, I, I used to just love getting angry at people and losing my temper and exploding at them, and I was filled with jealousy and resentment. All that stuff's gone. It's just a change in my heart. Or I used to enjoy getting drunk, and I don't even have any desire to do that anymore, or whatever other sins that might be in the person's life. And so, um, oh, I know, I'm just thinking of uh, a friend of ours who's an elder at the church we went to back in Illinois, and he said, oh, if you knew me before I was a Christian, he said, I had the most vulgar mouth and just filled with profanity and swearing, and God took that all away. It's a change. See, there, there was a mysterious change, but he was a new creation. Number two, while regeneration is an instantaneous event, because it's God's giving us new life, the change will become evident over time. And so I think this helps us understand that some people, especially adults, can point to a specific time when they know they were born again. And some of you, maybe, maybe you can. Um, in fact, I'll just, just I'm not going to call on you, but how many of you actually know the actual date when you were born again? You can think back on it. See, probably a, probably a, a fourth of you or so. And, and, uh, but there are other people, especially, not always, but especially younger children brought up in a Christian family, they may not remember any specific time, but they still recognize a change in their lives over a period of time. I was brought up in a Christian home. My parents brought me to a good Bible-believing church when I was even very young. And so, though when I was 12 years old, I made a profession of... I prayed one night with my mother. I prayed to receive Christ into my heart. I then met with the deacons of the Baptist church and told them what had happened to me, and then I was baptized publicly on profession of faith, just like we do here at Scottsdale Bible Church. But now I think back, that was 12. But why was it at age 6 and 7 and 8, I remember praying regularly when I was riding my bike, when I was playing baseball, just talking to God. Why is it that I loved reading my Bible from age 6 or 7, and I'd read it at night, why is it that when I had piano lessons for a little while, when I was in lower elementary school, I loved to play hymns and sing them at the piano, just because I had a sense of worship to God? Well, well those things looked to me like evidence of being born again a long time before that public profession of faith. So as far back as I can remember, there was, in my heart, a uh, desire to serve God, to know him, to love him. And so I, I, can't, I can't remember when specifically it was I was born again. I, I can see some markers along the way, but it was hard to know. Do you, do you want to talk about that a minute? I, I think from God knows when it was, but it was sometime in early childhood that I, I don't know for sure. Is that all right? 
<laughs> that makes sense? And, and the thing is that people brought up in a Christian, children brought up in a Christian home, um, it isn't, I mean, it isn't that a, a four or five-year-old is going to have a pattern of bank robbing and, <laughs> and vulgar language and embezzlement of funds and uh, I don't know what other sins you can think about. Uh, children, uh, who, when they're in a Christian home, in the house, they're, they're not going to get involved in... Um, uh, there, there, yes, there's sin in a, in a child's heart. I, we've brought up three children. We know that that is true. But, but, um, but it, isn't, it isn't the kind of remarkable life change uh, often when, it's, when there's been a pattern of obedience to, to God's commands anyway. So um, it might become evident over time. Okay, now, <clears throat> here's, the, here's the other controversy about this issue. In this... Sorry... What did I do? In this sense of regeneration, it seems to have to come before saving faith. That is, if we understand regeneration to mean God awakening spiritual life in us so that we will be alive to respond to the gospel and believe in Christ for salvation, well then, of course, it has to come before saving faith. The work of God gives us the ability to respond in saving faith. And Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Or John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And John 6, 65, Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It seems to imply there's a work of God within us uh, to, to, to cause that new life to, to, uh, to begin within us even before we respond in faith. Acts 16 says, one who heard us was a woman named uh, Lydia. It looks like I've lost the verse from that on the slide. Is it, is it on your sheet? Acts 16, Lydia, the Lord opened her heart. 16.14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It's another way of speaking about regeneration. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, <clears throat> I'm, I'm just when I read this verse, I'm thinking about uh, a, a non-Christian whom I know who just... It just nothing, nothing about the gospel makes sense to him. Here it is. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Have you ever had that experience? You talk to someone and all this business about being a Christian, it just sounds goofy to them. It sounds foolish. It doesn't make any sense. It just Why? Because there's, they need a spiritual ability to, to see it, to understand it. Colossians 2.13, you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with Christ. Okay. So it looks like from the Bible, from a theological sense, that this regeneration comes usually just a few seconds before saving faith. And then the gospel makes sense. And the person says, I, I believe. It didn't make sense to me before, but I do trust in Christ, and there's a genuine repentance. So, I think that's true, but it is often so close in time that it's hard to see how anyone could know about someone's regeneration unless it comes to expression in saving faith, because that's usually the first result of it. <clears throat> and we don't generally see any results of regeneration until saving faith, and then there is a subsequent change of life. A person becomes a new creation, and then all of a sudden you see results. Therefore, sometimes people talk about regeneration as following after saving faith. I believed, and they say, I, oh, I, I trusted in Christ, and then I was born again. Oh, really? Well, I think if they really understood what was going on, 
Even their initial faith was the result of regeneration, but it was the first result, and it was so close in time that it just seemed like it was all tied up together with them. Is that, am I making sense with that? And so, um, and so even the Evangelical Free Church of America statement of faith, for instance, we believe that the true church is composed of all such persons who, through saving faith in Jesus Christ, have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Um, I would rather it say in connection with saving faith or something like that. But I think they're talking about not. I think they're talking about the subsequent results. Um, and there are other results that come when a person is born again. So let's talk about those for a few minutes. What else happens once regeneration comes? <clears throat> is it just that a person says, "Okay, I, I repent of my sins"? and I trust in Christ, is that the end of the story? Or is there more? Is there more that happens? Oh, there is a lot more. And, and this follows from the first thing, and that is saving faith. But at that point, the person says, I was born again, and now what happens? A regeneration first cannot go on sinning in the way he or she did before the point of salvation. So 1 John 2.29, and John, 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, tends to express these truths in black and white language, absolute language, um, talking about really patterns of life. So if you know that he is righteous, Christ, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness have been has been born of him. But 1 John 3.9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Someone asked me last week, oh, we know this person who says he's born again, but his life doesn't show any change at all. And um, he's really living in a life of outright rebellion against God. So what do you say? Well, we don't know a person's heart. Only God knows the person's heart. But it looks like John is saying no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. If the person is going on living in outright rebellion against God, the outward evidence is certainly that regeneration has not occurred. Other results. The Bible speaks of other results of regeneration. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That is, a person who has been born again won't just go around angry, bitter, and hating people all the time. There'll be just a, a, an inclination to love people. Not that this is perfect. Anybody perfect in this? No, nobody's perfect. At least you're not holding up your hand if you think you are. We're not. There are, still, there are still mistakes that we make. There are sins that we make. James himself says we all stumble in many ways. So it doesn't say perfect, but there's a definite change of life. So that the pattern of life, the generalization about how your life is, should be that you, you, you love other people. You're not just one just filled with hatred and bitterness. Then overcoming the world. I'll explain in a minute what that means. 1 John 5, 3 to 4. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, in John's vocabulary, the world means the world system apart from God. The world system living in and dedicated to sin and to serving Satan apart from God. And that world system pressures you to live apart from God. It pressures you to disobey God's commandments. It pressures you to
to go back to your old manner of life and just live in anger and bitterness and, and coveting and lust and resentment and, and, and jealousy and uh, dishonesty and uh, profanity. And it, it, the world pressures you to that. But John says, if you're born of God, you're not going to give in to those pressures. I'm not saying 100%. But as a generalization in your life, there's going to be a change, and you're not going to go along with the crowd all the time. A teenager who's been born again won't go out and get drunk with his or her friends all the time anymore. There'll be a change. There'll be a resistance to that. Am I, am I making sense? I think that's what it means. Overcomes the world. It won't pressure you and successfully get you to turn from God. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and through the history of the kings. I'm in Second Kings now. And again and again, the people followed the the pagan religions of the land. They went and chased after the Baals and the, the false gods. They gave in to the world. They turned away from the Lord. Even Solomon, then he married foreign wives. He, he, gave, in to, he gave in. But then the New, New Testament, the New Covenant, it's not supposed to happen for believers. Overcomes the world. And then protection from Satan is something that comes about as a result of being born again. Isn't this Interesting, and isn't it wonderful? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This isn't talking about antichrists that have gone out into the world, satanic forces opposing the, the Lord. You have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. A Christian will not have his or her whole life so dominated by and overcome by demonic forces that... Um, uh, that, that it's just a life of, of defeat and, and, um, and, re- not, and, and, um, and uh, being uh, conquered by this demonic attack. It says that isn't true. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I think that means, too, that our life shouldn't be lived by walking around in fear that demonic forces are going to attack us and overcome us, but rather by faith in God that he, the, the Holy Spirit within us, is greater than demons. And uh, and we don't have and we don't have to fear that uh, we'll be overtaken by them. First John 5:18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God, that's Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. I don't think that means we're free from all demonic attack. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, there was a messenger of Satan who harassed him. Even Jesus was tempted by the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers of this present darkness. There's there's some attack that sometimes comes to us from demonic forces, and we talked about that a number of weeks ago, but doesn't touch him, I think, doesn't bring ultimate harm to you, doesn't bring permanent damage to you, the evil one, uh, and so don't don't be afraid, but have faith. And so so what are the what are the results of regeneration? Love in our lives? Overcoming the world, a pattern not of, not of giving in to sin, but overcoming sin, overcoming Satan. And then the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit brings about in a person who is truly born again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In the contrast to those things, Paul lists the work of the spirit, the work of the flesh in, in that passage in Galatians 5, and you could look at those later if you wish, but, but you know what? As I kind of look around this class and I 
think of those of you whom I've gotten to know a bit, I, I think these are true of you. I, I would say that overall, <clears throat> as I know your lives, your lives are characterized by love, not by just hatred of people all the time. There are some people who just live in hatred, but I don't think it's you. You're, you're born again. Joy, I think there's a fundamental joy. I don't think it's just, I don't, I don't think, I don't know of anybody here who's just like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, everything is always bad. Um, and, and there's always sorrow and nothing makes you happy. Um, uh, peace. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't times when you're, there's stress and there's anxiety and, and you know, because there's struggle in all these. These are not 100%. But they're generalizations. In general, is there a peace, a sense of peace with God and peace with other people in your life? I think so. I'm just, I'm just looking at, at a number of you, and I, I think that's true. Um, patience, yes, not perfect. I'm not perfect on that. Ask Margaret. <laughs> but... Do I have a sense of, of calm overall when I'm thinking about my life, my children's lives, Margaret's life, the state of the nation, state of the world? Overall, yeah, my trust is in God to work out his purposes in his good time. Patience, kindness to others, not meanness, not just trying to hurt people. There are people like that. I mean, I, I guess when I talk about, thinking about meanness, I think about some kids I went to high school with. And uh, meanness just came out in them. And, but that isn't, that isn't your lives. Um, and I hope it's no longer in theirs. I hope they came to know the Lord and, and turned to a different direction. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, not harshness, and self-control, rather than just complete lack of control. These things are what the Holy Spirit produces in us. And you know what? I don't think that people can fake these things over time convincingly to those who know them, their family or their co-workers or things. If these are true of your life, you can't just in your own effort, in your own flesh, your effort to be a good person apart from Christ, I don't think people can, can fake this. I think these things indicate genuine life change. But Jesus warns. He warns his disciples, and I think it's a, it's a warning to us, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. I think that means partly this, these attitudes, but partly the result of their lives, too. And I tell students at the seminary, if you get into a church and, and um, after you've been there a while, you just notice that there's this one guy, every time you put him on a committee, there's always strife. Every time he's in a business meeting, he's always arguing. Every time he, you give him an assignment, he, he always makes more trouble than, than he solves. All the result of his influence in the church is negative, negative, negative. It's destructive. Think about this passage. That is, is he really a believer? Or is he one whose fruit is harmful rather than helpful? Because... The pattern of life shows destructiveness. And, and then, so what do you do as a pastor? Well, you, I can't tell you in advance, but you certainly don't offer him more committee responsibilities. You don't offer to put him on the elder board or the deacon board. You don't give him a leadership position, especially if he's giving a lot of money to the church, because sometimes there'll be... Or, or he's got a key leadership position. You think, oh, I couldn't do it without him, but he's always bringing harm to the church. Beware of that. The, the, the negative consequences can be much more than you realize. So you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, 
but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor does a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. There's a warning. But also, sometimes people come to me and say, I don't know if I should go to seminary or not. Do you think God's calling me to seminary? I say, what kinds of ministry have you been involved in in your church up to this point, and has God borne fruit from it? Has there been blessing in it? That's often an indication of what the person's pattern of life is. There should be some kind of fruit in your relationships with others or the ministry you have. So there's uh, now we're back to this. Genuine regeneration must bring results in life. There'll be saving faith, initial saving faith, but then overcoming, not, not making a practice of sinning, loving others, overcoming the pressures of the world, protection from Satan, and the fruit of the Spirit. That is the end of the discussion of regeneration. And we have a few minutes to talk yet, about 10 or so. Um, Mary Jane, we're just going to get a microphone over here first. My question is, when it talks about thrown into the fire, and then you know that verse, it's in John uh, 14, yeah, where it's being branches. pruned, and, yeah. and then anything that it does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Yeah. Can you tell us what that means? Well, um, people disagree on that. <clears throat> Some, I'll tell you what I think it means, and then I'll tell you the alternative view. Um, John 14. Um, um, oh, John 15, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Let's see. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever does not abide in me, and I in him, or whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, this is John 15, 6, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, grown into the fire, and burned. I think that has to mean it's a picture of judgment, of final judgment. The person never was a believer. And it doesn't abide in me means came be part of the fellowship of the church, but, but then left it and uh, walked away. Now, the image is an imperfect one because it's an analogy, and how could the branch be part of the... How could a branch be part of the vine, but then not part of the vine? And it's just because the analogy breaks down. But I think it means the person wasn't ever a believer in the first place. Now, other people will say, no, that's burning loss of reward, um, even though the person is saved. And so it's a question of what you think that imagery means. But people actually will interpret that according to their understanding of other passages in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay, now, what else? Regeneration. Well, I see Charlie and then Laverne. Could you just talk real quick? You talked about the whole person being regenerated. Yeah. Where does that leave my flesh? Well, I think flesh. Okay, I'm gonna. I've been honest with you for all the time I taught this class. I'm not completely sure what flesh means in the Bible. <laughs> it's a complex word with a range of meanings. The Greek word is sarks. I I think in most senses in which people use it, it means my human nature apart from God, and there's sinful tendency in it. Is there some of that left? I think there is. So the flesh and the spirit struggle against each other. And so it's, so, it's, it's 10.30 at night, and I'm tired. And I think, do I really have to prepare this lesson for tomorrow morning? <laughs> that's, that's my flesh saying, I'd like to go to bed. But why didn't I prepare it earlier in the day? Well, that's another story. Okay, so 
But then I, but then, but then I think, no, I've got a responsibility to teach these people, and they're going to come. So then I go and sit down at the computer, and why are you not laughing? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but it did happen last night. So, okay. Um, and our and our flesh is, I know what God wants me to do, but I don't feel like it. I just don't want to do that. That's the flesh, I think. And I think um, as we grow to maturity, it's more. Okay, Lord, I'm tired, but I just delight in doing your word. I am thankful for the privilege of studying your word and getting to teach your word. And Okay, this is good. Help me, Lord, to have strength. And there's joy. Am, am I making sense? Well, it just sounds like my flesh is stronger than yours. You don't have to put that on the tape. <laughs> Charlie says, it sounds like my flesh is stronger than yours. Look, we're all, we all go through that struggle. Um, but there should be some reward for reaching 60. Okay, okay, thanks. Okay. No, I think it is tr- I think it is true that though there is still sin in my life and I know it and Margaret will tell you more details if you <clears throat> ask. <laughs> no, she won't. But but there there's sin. but but there's progress. And I see things that were areas of disobedience or not complete obedience to the Lord a decade ago or two decades ago, there aren't really issues for me anymore, or almost never. It's really interesting, and I think that should be the pattern of the Christian life. Okay, now Laverne. Okay. The word fruit, I've seen interchangeable, and on your outline you have fruits of the Spirit. Up there it's yep. fruit. Yep. And then in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, you will recognize them by their fruits, but my scripture just says fruit. And through the years, this is been a confusion sort of in interpretation, I guess, because I've always thought of the fruit of the Spirit as being complete like an apple is the seeds and the whole mm-hmm. thing. So I just wanted you to expound on that, mm-hmm. the difference between if there's fruit or fruits. Mm-hmm. Well, the, um, in Matthew 7:16. Literally in Greek, it is fruits. From there, it's carpon plural. Um, my guess is it's singular in Galatians 5, uh, 22. But, but just one second here. But the fruit of the Spirit is singular carpos. But but my guess is, Laverne, it's you could talk both ways. There's there's one sense in which it's a singular thing, and Paul's talking about that in Galatians. That is, this whole package comes to you, and here are different aspects of it. But there's another sense in which different actions, different events, different parts of life have different fruits. So you can use singular or plural, and there's a truth in both of them. And that's probably why you get one in one verse and one in the other. Does that help? It's a, it's a both and thing. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. 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 We have some of all of it if we're um, of the spirit. Yeah. We have some of all of it. But not just one or two of those things I have, and the rest of them I don't have yet. It's always a package yep. deal when it comes yep. to the to the human. I, I think we have some of all of it, but the, but some but just because our background, our personality, our training, what we've seen in our parents, etc. <clears throat> some things are are easier than others, and some things are harder than others. I, 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 
I think there was, as I look back to grade school, I, I, there was a kindness that I see in my life, probably picked up from my parents or personality that God gave me. Patience? Uh-uh. That uh, wasn't it. Wasn't something that, that God that was as natural or easy for me. So it's different in different people. Okay, just one one that cleared up. Okay, good, good. Now, what else? Sherry. I was just going to say, isn't fruit? Wouldn't fruit be considered a collective noun, and thereby being plural, even though it's singular? This is a school teacher talking. <laughs> yes. Okay, good solution. <laughs> yeah, Gene, over there. Go ahead. The Galatians passage really identifying invisible qualities, the spirit, and the Matthew passage really the work that you've done, whether it's you know working oh. for the poor. Or, this is um, interesting. Okay, that's really interesting, uh, Gene. I hadn't thought of that, but Gene is saying, isn't, aren't these more invisible qualities, or it's a little harder? To, you have to see them by observation over time. You can't, but, but these might be the activities, individual things that people do in Matthew. Yeah, that, that could be, very definitely. And I think both are what we look at for a person's life, and, and we see evidence, and then we rejoice in that. Okay, anything else on regeneration? Way over on this side. Yeah. Okay. I forgot your name. Patrick McCarthy. Patrick. Don't let name fool you. I'm just half hours. Of course, um, yeah, I think um, I'm not the worst sinners, but I'm not the best. Of course, Jesus wasn't crucified for the good things he did, right? Of course, uh, I kind of like that grapefruit I had for breakfast weeks ago. Cut it up in the sink, and I know some rottenness in it. I didn't throw the entire piece away. Just cut out the bad part and toss that and ate the rest. Okay. Of okay. course, uh, righteousness is a matter of perspective. I see the movie Schindler's List. A lot of profanity in that movie. Well, worst profane thing. Well, the the uh, I'll get to my point. The guy Schindler, he was uh, he he was a notorious drunk and he was a womanizer. But I saw a greater evil going on. People were being killed because they were Jewish. Mm-hmm. He employed as many people as he could in his factories to save their lives. You know, even though he was these things, he was considered righteous for what he did. Okay. This is a good question, Patrick. What do we do about someone who does a lot of good, but there's also a lot of wrongdoing in the person's life? Because people aren't all one thing or all another, are they? They, yeah. they can be mixed. Um, or I, I don't know that we can say in general or something like that, but... It seems to me that this um, that these verses back in First John, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. First John three nine, and there are other verses like that in First John, would say to me that someone who is, and I'm going to make a qualification after this, but would say to me that someone who is living a pattern of of profanity, not worshiping God, and and in, and in a lot of sexual immorality as you mentioned, that doesn't fit this verse. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It looks like, I mean, that person doesn't look like a believer to me from this verse. There's a, there's a, a pattern of outright rebellion against God, and it's persisting. 
doesn't look like it's characteristic of a believer. Can non-believers do a lot of good? Sure, we had this whole unit on common grace. Because God gives common grace to people and non-believers do good, but it doesn't look like that means the person is a believer. In general. Now, are there some sins that people have that are very deeply ingrained patterns of sin and they don't immediately get released from them when they become Christians. I think there are cases like that. And it, I know Sandy Wilson were here, some of you all, others uh, maybe in counseling uh, ministries, where there are certain areas of sin that seem to be so addictive that the break isn't always instantaneous. Alcoholism would be one, drug abuse would be another, Sometimes I'm afraid addiction to pornography or gambling can be another, and homosexuality can be another, that if a person has gone on with a pattern of life in those things, conversion should, should make an instantaneous, deep desire to turn from that and progress. But I'm not sure that always we're going to have to say, well, a person has to be completely perfect before we see there's evidence of salvation. Um, I hope that's... I hope that's saying that rightly. I, I just want to admit, in the real world, there are mixed cases that are hard to to know exactly. And of course, God knows a person's heart. So, not saying that those things are right. I'm just saying that the testimony of people who have worked in counseling ministries uh, says that there are some things that take very long time to overcome, or take the help of others to overcome. Um, for some reason, I, I don't fully know. Okay, anything else? I think we're about out of time. So um, that's regeneration. Next week, what, oh, I know, but I've got 10.54, and I just I didn't mean not to call any. Um, Mary. Okay, well, go ahead, Mary. Better, good, better ask this question. It's got to get it on the tape. I say, what about the unbeliever who displays the fruits of the Spirit? What about a non-believer who displays the fruits of the Spirit? By common grace, a large measure of them, I think, a large measure of that can happen. I think it's really unusual it would be consistent over a pattern of life. But, you know, you can say, well, here are some exceptions. Then it needs to go along with a profession of faith in Christ, of course. That's clear evidence as well that has to be there. Well, here's kind of a, here's kind of a good old-fashioned gospel hymn comes out, Dwight Moody's ministry, and... Um, um, just kind of a summary of the Christian life that should follow from regeneration. Let's stand up and sing when we walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that, that this regeneration that you give us is really your resurrection life beginning to be imparted to us. And what a wonderful gift that is. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for a new heart, a new spirit, a new willingness to walk in your ways, a, a new ability to overcome sin and overcome the world. And, oh, Lord, what a, what a treasure this is that you've imparted this regeneration to us. So we thank you for it. And now, as we go this week, Lord, uh, let us live more fully in the light of that tremendous new life that you've put within us. Amen.